That means that the way that seems right to a man has to exit, and the way that is right to God has to enter. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you get this, your whole life changes forever in a moment. In the blink of an eye, for a, in a moment, everything changes. Because if you make room for him to do whatever he wants, what you've said. See, in the beginning of Christianity, that's what you did when you said yes to Jesus. Not knowing so, that's what you actually said. Because this isn't incorporate Jesus in for what you can get from him. This is surrender your life for what he can do through you. Are you with me? Come on, some of you, how many of you have never heard me before? Raise your hand. Wow, this is going to be fun. Because God loves us, but he wants to love people through you. But he needs you to be out of the way, completely yielded, relying completely on the comforter so that he can do whatever he wants to through you. Are you guys, are you guys in a place? Because we always say we want revival. We want revival. God, bring revival. Well, God's not bringing revival to keep it inside of the four walls of the church. God's not going to do revival so that we can come here and hoard it. God's doing revival inside of each individual so we become a conduit for God to flow through everywhere we go. He wants to do whatever he wants to inside of you. You've got to yield. Like this whole thing is about yielding. I've got to yield myself completely to him because you don't belong to you. You were purchased with a price. You were bought with a price, and it's not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. You were bought and paid for. You actually don't belong to you anymore. You belong to the King of Glory. You guys all right? I'm going to be really, really intense today. I just, I got one shot at you guys this morning. And I'm not here to tickle ears at all. I promise your ears will not be tickled. I'm here to fillet hearts. Because God wants to use you, and it's time that you start seeing that it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, doesn't matter all the stuff that's come against you. Like the devil has stepped up his attack on the church itself. He is trying to bombard us with everything possible to stop you from intimacy. He wants, to, he wants you to say, do you have a relationship with God but really don't have one? He, the devil loves it when you say, do you know God? Did you pray the prayer? It's not about praying a prayer just to get there. It's about a complete surrender of your whole being to the king of glory so that he can have his way in you. So if you'd say you want to make room for him, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't ask for much. You know what he's asking for? He's asking, all he's asking you is to give up something you were never created for. Because you were not created for you. Right. You were created for him. Amen. So he's asking you to give up something that you were never created for so you can finally step into who he says you really are. Man, that's an easy trade. You weren't created for you. God didn't create you for you. It's not about you. It's about him. See, here's the thing is that when you're all about him, he's all about you. But when you're all about you, he can't be about you because it's all selfish, selfish ambition, self-seeking, envy. It's the wisdom of the world. But God wants to break off the wisdom of the world so that we can actually love God instead of love the world. We can't afford to be lovers of the world and lover of God. That doesn't work. It actually says you will hate one and love the other. Can't afford to, to love money and love God because if you love God, you, you, money becomes your servant and not your master. But if you love money, God's not your servant, but money becomes your master. All of a sudden, your life is twisting and turning, and you're hoping that you can make ends meet. And God doesn't want you to make ends meet. God want you, wants you to meet your end. Oh, he wants to end you pursuing you so that he can actually be the biggest part of the picture that ever could be 
where you can see when you look in the mirror like what you see. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Where you can actually see him staring back at you. Come on. Where you look, men, when you look in the mirror, do you like what you see? Because God does. God likes what he sees. Come on. God likes what he sees when he sees himself in you. He chose to come and place himself inside of you. He chose you. You didn't choose him. Come on, God. Listen, God knew about you before the foundation of the world. God had thoughts and plans for you, plans to prosper you. Like the Bible is so clear about your identity and what he says about you. God knew you before your mom and dad ever came together. Come on, and God, God knit you in your mom's womb. Your mom didn't. So if your mom said things that were, were not good about you when you were in there, it doesn't matter. When you get born again, that's what matters. It's so awesome, but born again isn't just getting to heaven. Born again is heaven getting into you and hell getting out of you. We need hell out of us. We need this hellish thinking, this thought life that's been tormented by hell to get out. Fear, guilt, shame, condemnation. It's all demonic strategy to set up to get you to never be able to have relationship with a God that has paid a price to have deep intimacy with you so you can be in love with him. So I want to sing that one more time. I just want to, I love, I'll make room for you to do whatever you want to because that's what the story of Christianity was always supposed to be about. It was always supposed to be about surrender so that you and I could live a life worthy of the call. I don't know if you know it or not, but, but Matthew 28, he didn't give the call to go into all the world to evangelists. He gave the call to Christians. Come on, this isn't about evangelism. This is about you becoming a witness. What are you witnessing? Are you witnessing your strife and your struggle and your trauma and your life? Or are you witnessing Him? Because God's given you the privilege of representing Him in a lost and dying world. And the privilege of Christianity is shining. Oh my gosh, do you understand that you're supposed to shine as lights in the midst of a perversely corrupt generation? That's Philippians. That's the story of Christ. He wants you to shine. Let your light so shine and let them see your good deeds that they might glorify your Father in heaven. It's way different shining. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. Man, but this right here determines a whole lot. How you see and how you see yourself can't be in conflict with how God sees you. Because that right there will change everything. I'm not talking about five years to learn this. I'm talking about one second of the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him resting upon you, hitting your heart in such a way that you can't see anything less than he loves me, 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 he loves me. You wake up with he loves me, you go to sleep with he loves you. Doesn't matter if someone cuts you off in the car. Doesn't matter if someone... It doesn't matter who hurts you and who came against you. If God is for you, who really cares who's against you? Guys, we so struggle with we want everybody. We want to please everybody. We can't please everybody. Man, when you walk with God and you burn with God and you burn with the anointing of God and the Holy Spirit is upon you, and you've got the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm talking about the fire of God upon you. You are in great conflict with everybody that doesn't believe. And most of the church doesn't believe. They believe enough to get to heaven, but not enough for heaven to get into them. 
So you're in great conflict because unbelief has to do everything to get faith out of the room to feel good about itself again. I need you to hear that again. Unbelief has to do everything to get belief or to get faith out of the room so that it feels comfortable about not believing again. So they will fight you and war against you to get your faith out of the room so that they can stay in unbelief. And I'm not talking about unbelief enough to get to heaven. I'm talking about unbelief enough for heaven to get into you. Because we're talking about being possessed by God. You're not supposed to just walk with God. You're supposed to walk like God calls you to walk. Let's sing that again so I can actually dive into your hearts here. Because I'm chomping at the bit right now. He loves us so much. And I want us to be possessed by his love today. I want us to walk out of here going, man, he loves me. I want you to go to a gas station and say, hey, have you heard the good news? It's not I saved $200 on my car insurance. That's not good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ died for you. Died for you so that you could know him. Do you know him? I, I, I think I do. No, do you know him? Do you know that he knows you? What? That's weird. Let me share with you my testimony of what God did with me. All of a sudden, the person on the other side of the pump, because you're more concerned about them than you are the gas prices, they get wiped out and surrender to God right there at the pump. All of a sudden, that's just your gas pump. Now you're going to go shopping. And you're going to bring Jesus to everybody in the grocery store. And they can't get away because you're possessed. There's a possessed Christian in the midst of a grocery store. Not in the church building. In the grocery store. Because you're supposed to yield your life to him in every place you go. Be a witness of his glory and be a conduit for him to flow through. Christ in you is the hope of glory. But Christ coming out of you is that glory being made manifest. Very important. Amen? So would you make room for him to do whatever he wants to? Really? Don't sing it if you don't believe it. All right, let's do it again. Come on, bring that. And I'll make room for you To do whatever you want to Do whatever you want to And I will make room for you To do whatever you want to do whatever you want to and I will make room for you to do whatever you want to do whatever you want to and I will make room for you for you to do whatever you want to do whatever you want to and I will make room for you in this meeting today in this time in this, this pointed time this care this Kairos moment right now that Jesus you would overwhelm us with the truth of why we're really here God thank you that all the junk gets completely taken out that we could see so clearly I'm asking you for ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. God, thank you that all the debris, all the worry, all the fear, all the guilt, all the shame, all the condemnation, that it would be completely annihilated by the truth of God's Word today. Father, we love you. We are tired of living as an oppressed people. 
We are tired of living as a depressed people. We are tired of living without the joy of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is our strength. God, we thank you that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Christ, Christ wasn't just Jesus' last name. Christ was Jesus, the one anointed by God. We can do all things all things through the anointing that strengthens us. It says that you need no one to teach you in 1 John 2.27. For you have the anointing that teaches you all things that are true. Very important. Because no matter who's up here teaching, you have to have the anointing inside of you. You have to have the anointing of, the, of God's Spirit speaking to you, telling you what is and what is not Him. So Father, I ask you for the gift of the Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you to be so apparent and so prevalent throughout this congregation. Now, and anybody that even hears this on live stream, anybody that hears this even in the archives, that this anointing would transform people and break the yoke of bondage because it's the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage off of people's necks. God, we love you. We say yes to you. Have your way in here because we make room for you. In Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Thank you so, so much. I'm probably going to call you back up. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be good. I love you. Thank you, worship team. Wasn't, it, wasn't this amazing today? Man, it's amazing. Thank you. Wow. All right. Are you ready? Come on. Amen. Can you be seated, please? Love you. Sorry, I forgot to tell you. I'd have you stand the whole time. So I'm going to stand the whole time. So, yeah. Wow. Well, well, a lot of people raise their hands. How many of you have never heard me? Today's the first time. It, okay. Raise your hand high. It's not a shame thing. It's okay. All right. Cool. Awesome. How many of you were not here last night? What? Where were? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing with you. No. Um, I share. How many of you have never heard my testimony before? Okay. Let me just briefly touch it real quick because I shared it yesterday in length. I mean, I think we were here about four and a half hours last night. It was so fun. I just, I just love Jesus. We're not going to be here for four and a half hours today because I have your bellies to contend with because it's 1121 and I know what it's like before lunch comes. But if we knew that the food that we have is to do the will of him who sent us, you have to know you're a sent one. Come on. This is so good. So um, drug addiction for 22 years, atheist my whole life. Not one Christian talked to me about Jesus for 34 years of my life. Nobody interrupted my path, and I was dangerous. I was scary. I was rowdy. I was wild. I was a thief. I was an addict. All the stuff that goes with that. So I understand. But when I read about Jesus, when I got saved finally, I read that those were the people that wanted to hang with Jesus. Are you with me? Those, those addicts, those prostitutes, those tax collectors, those guys, they were like, I want to hang with this guy. They did not want to hang with the Pharisees. That's right. They wanted nothing to do with the Pharisees because the Pharisees had this thing going that was self-righteousness, which isn't righteousness at all. It's actually, you think that you're okay because you know it all, and that does not make you okay. No way. It's about knowing him that makes you okay. Are you with me? Not just knowing about him, but knowing him. So at 12 years old, my parents had me put in a children's home um, about half a year earlier. I'm fully addicted by 12. 
I grew up in there. It's called the Masonic Homes. I was raised by the Masons. When I say that, people go, because oh, it's like, it's this weird thing, because it is. It's a, I mean, it's a cult. That's what it is. I didn't know about their cult. I just knew that someone was taking care of me. So drugs pulled on, joined the military after that, went in the Marine Corps, ended up going AWOL after boot camp, ended up getting arrested in Colorado, yes, right here in your state, got arrested out here in Silverthorne, got put into Frisco County Jail, got extradited across the U.S., got put in military prison down in the brig in Camp Lejeune. Five and a half months in there, I got out. About two months later, I'm gone. I ran away again, came right back out to Colorado because I didn't see anything that I... I mean, when I was up above in the clouds in the mountains up there in Dillon and Silverthorne, I'm like, this is heaven. It's beautiful. Like, it's gorgeous. Colorado's gorgeous, right? So I hid for about 11, 11 months or so, almost a year, got busted in a traffic violation, five cops with nine millimeters at my head, get put in jail, go back to Frisco County Jail again. They extradite me a second time. I go back to military prison, ended up getting put in jail there for, for about almost six months. They gave me a bad conduct discharge. They kicked me out of the military. That doesn't look good on resumes. You lie to get jobs. Just I was a problem child, like literally. I was the guy, black cloud, freight train for the kingdom of hell, and no one talked to me about Jesus, and I had no Christians in my whole family. Like The only Christian I had in my family line was a guy named Oliver Cromwell way back in England like, like a long time ago like great, 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 great uncle, who was quite a reformer. They have a statue of him with a sword and a Bible at, at Westminster Abbey. Like, that's the guy in my history. I get it, because I feel like a guy with a sword and a Bible right now, especially in America. No joke. Like, it's real. Like, it's game on right now. It's time to destroy the works of the devil, and it's time not to be silent about issues. It's time to be very vocal about the truth of what biblically sound truth is and not compromise your faith. It's not okay. It's not okay to sacrifice truth on an altar, oh gosh, of, on an altar of trying to be culturally relevant. So I will never sacrifice truth on an altar of trying to be culturally relevant because biblical culture never changes. Like, kingdom culture never changes, but the world goes through all kinds of crazy stuff. But we need to hold fast to our confession of truth, our confession of faith without wavering. It's a big deal. We are, you, you think you've seen some bad stuff now. You ain't seen nothing yet. So you better arm up and man up and understand who God's created you to be because you ain't seen persecution. But it's about to hit the U.S. People are like, oh, it's doom and gloom. No, no, no. I'm just talking about what the Bible says. The Bible says it's going to get way worse. Are you with me? Like people are like, it can't get worse. Oh, it can. And it will. But it says arise and shine. Arise and shine for your light has come. Darkness and deep darkness will cover the earth, but not so with you. Come on, guys. Like it's time that you come out of the cloud. It's like, a, it's like this, you watch the news, people like... For some reason, they seem to get their understanding from watching CNN. Their, I mean, their whole life revolves around the news. And, but then if you ask the same people that are watching the news, if they ever dive into the good news, no, they don't. So all of a sudden, our minds are getting completely usurped, completely sucked in to the lie of what's happening today. When you don't understand, when you see the truth, we win. Like... Like, we win. 
but it's going to take some people that don't just go to a building. It's going to take some people that are armed and ready for the warfare that's coming. Like, you can't sit there and just, like, put your sword on a mantle and never use it. You need to go to bed with blood on your sword every day because you've slain devils. Oh, my gosh. Oh. So, so I ended up getting kicked out of the Marines. I meet a girl in a bar a little while later. Man, she falls for me. I had gotten felonies before I met her, felonies, like a few felonies and then some misdemeanors. I was just, I had $14,000 in court costs to pay back from bounty hunters that came to get me when I got extradited. So I got a lot of trouble going on because you ain't paying your court costs if you're a drug addict. Like there's no one. And the clerk of court said, it's no joke. And there are warrants for me. And hey, honey, I meet this girl trickering and thinking I'm Mr. Amazing. We ended up getting together. I moved into her mom's. Um, about a year and a half in, she got pregnant with our daughter. We had a little daughter, and then suicidal, all this stuff hit me. Bipolar, like borderline schizophrenia, manic depressive, on all the meds, Zoloft, Paxil, just the meds to try to get rid of it all. But it wouldn't go, so drugs, I had to medicate constantly to get this thing fixed. And so I became very suicidal, thought about killing myself every day. And then about six months into my daughter's life, my girlfriend was going to leave me for another person. She was going to find another man. She made the statement, I'm going to find another man to take care of me. And I'm killing him. Whoever it is, when I find him, he's dead. And I made it very, very, made it very apparent that that was what's going to happen. So I threatened her life, threatened my life. She was more concerned about me committing suicide. You know, she never went out there and found somebody. But it was a very dangerous, hostile life that she was under. And any of you that have come out of addiction can know just how bad it can get. I mean, I was in drug deals going wrong. People are dead. I mean, I lived that life. So, I mean, people are dead because of me. You sell bad drugs to somebody, they die because they used it. Like, it's, that's a big deal. That's a lot of stuff to go through life with and, and try to, like, live in this world because you've got guilt, shame, and condemnation that are completely oppressing your soul every day, all day long. And so, nine years into our relationship, I ended up, what ended up happening at the end I met a pastor about five and a half months earlier who told me I should give my life to somebody that wants it. I didn't understand what that, how, how can I give my life to somebody I can't see? Like it doesn't, and why would anybody want all the tragic stuff that I brought into the world? So it didn't make sense. So what I did was incorporate Jesus in to try to appease my girl, to try to get her to come home. And she's an atheist and she hates any kind of religion at all. And so my daughter's caught in the middle of this. So for five and a half months, I lived as a huge hypocrite, damaged a lot of people. Last night, if you can get the message from last night, even if you just listen to the end of it, you can hear kind of my full testimony. And we have a book called The Todd White Story that's on Amazon. People can order that thing too. It's really, it's kind of an in-depth, I didn't bring any books with me because this was kind of a last minute deal that I ended up putting in here. And I'm glad I came because you guys are amazing. It's really, really, really good. Just grateful. And so um, ended up... Um, Nine years in, where it all changed, I went out and I ripped off a drug dealer in York, Pennsylvania, five and a half months after I incorporated Jesus in, but didn't surrender. And the danger of that is that you're still living for you. You've just got the name Jesus. And you're going to church on Sunday, you're going through the motions and trying to make it on a service and you can't make it. You can't make it through the whole week on a service. You can't, you'll starve. You're starving the whole time. You have Sunday worship, it's amazing. You got the word, it's amazing. But if you're not feeding, you're starving. Because what's happening is we're feeding on the world all through the week, and then we're feeding on God on Sunday. But, man, you're taste-testing Jesus, and you're smorgasbord the world. 
And you can't afford to do that because you are created to grow in God and the word is what helps you grow. And the enemy wants to make you think that you can never get it unless you're fed by a pastor. And the pastor's job isn't to keep you nourished. The Holy Spirit is the revealer of the truth of God's word and God's word is alive. And what he wants to do is he wants to transform the way you think so that you can think like God created you to think. Really. But there's a war inside of your soul that's constantly battling. But if you can win this war right here, if you can crush this thing right here, if you can start to take thoughts captive to the truth of God, you will pull down strongholds, not out here, but in here, that are trying to establish and take root in here. And you will be able to live the life that God paid a price for. And the first byproduct of that is guilt, shame, and condemnation leave, and joy enters, and joy never leaves. And so we're all in pursuit of joy. We want to be happy, but this world can't make you happy. It can, it can give you a, a, a season of something. But man, how many people are taught that, you know, you're on the mountaintop, the valley's coming? Like if you're on the mountain, the valley's coming. I understand that. But in context of what John the Baptist said is let every mountain be brought low and every valley be brought up. Make a straight path for the Lord to travel. Roller coaster Croaster Christianity is illegal in the kingdom. Regardless of what you've been taught, I, I, it doesn't matter to me. See, I don't see in scripture where anything has the right to rattle me. Ever. In any situation. I don't see in scripture where anything has the right to terrify me. Ever. I don't see in scripture where anything has the right to make me afraid. To make me worry. To make me guilty. Or to make me ashamed. I don't see in scripture that that's a reality, but that is a very big reality for the majority of the body of Christ who lives in fear. I mean, look at COVID. When COVID came through, it brought the spirit of fear and offense on the earth in such a big way where people went crazy. Crazy. Why? Because we didn't have true intimacy with Jesus. Because COVID comes and you have intimacy with Jesus. Yes, it's here, but this is here. So this COVID thing can't interrupt this thing unless you don't have this. If you don't have this, anything has the right to interrupt. I promise. So, um, so five and a half months after I incorporated Jesus, I go out in York, Pennsylvania, ripped off a drug dealer. And he was in my car, and I told him I was a police officer. I ripped him off for a bunch of crack cocaine. Told him to get out of the car and put his hands on the hood. And when he did, I hit the gas and he unloaded a nine millimeter at me from 10 feet away. And I heard an audible voice come with it. And the voice was, I took those bullets for you. Are you ready to live for me yet? None of the bullets hit my car. I'm talking about a full clip. I'm talking about 10 feet away with a 15-year-old thug, gangster style, right outside of my window. None of the bullets hit me. And I did all the cocaine and couldn't get high. And that voice stopped me from getting high all night long. Pulled into my driveway, no bullets in my car, went to the door, she's screaming, get out, I leave. I go to a place called Teen Challenge, which is a Christian rehab. I committed to go for 12 months. I'm two months in the rehab. I have three nights where I have face-to-face -face encounters with Jesus. And Jesus tells me to go home and restore my family three nights in a row. Third night, tells me to go home. I left. When I got to my house, my daughter came running out. She was so glad to see her dad again. I told her I couldn't stay there. And when I was in there, I found out that my girlfriend had surrendered and given her life to Jesus when I went away. She asked me to marry her that day. We got married four days later. That was 19 years ago. 
That's like a nutshell. It's probably the fastest I ever did my testimony. So someone somewhere is praying for me. So that was a miracle. So we got married. Uh, we are married right now. If you could put that picture up. 19 years. So I've got, I've got Justin, who is my son-in-law, on the far left. He's been married to my daughter three and a half years. That is our first grandbaby. Her name is Anna Lay. She's precious. I've got my wife, Jackie, right beside me. We've been together for 19 years, married. We've been together nine years before that, so we're coming up on um, 28 years. That's powerful. Nine really bad ones. <laughs> Worse than anybody knows. Bankruptcy, repossession, you name it, I did it all. I'm talking bad, bad, bad. And so we have our 17-year-old Zoe, our 12-year-old Briley, and then the two boys on the bottom, um, we have Azariah on the right, who's seven, and Asher on the left, who's four. Can you put the next picture up there? These guys. Can you zoom that a little? Can you zoom it? No, probably not. No, sorry. Hey, you never know until you try. So Azariah on the left, he was born. We had a mom come into a church that I administered at down in West Virginia, and she came into the... There you go. She... She was addicted to heroin. She came in and said, I don't want this baby. She's six months pregnant, and she's still shooting, and she's on Suboxone, and she's, I mean, she's, it's close to overdose the whole time in her life, you know, and she's overdosed a couple times. So we stepped in, were able to adopt him. So we adopted Azariah on the left. We went to rehab with him when he was born for three weeks. He had to be on methadone to get free. And so methadone is what they wean, they, they do not wean adults off with methadone. Methadone clinics are actually there to make money, and they're there, and they're government-funded clinics, and they do not try to get anybody off of heroin. They are not, because it is legal heroin is what it is. So don't be deceived and don't be confused, because the reality of this is, is that they wean them off of methadone, the clinics close, and they lose their money. So this little guy got weaned off three weeks in. We bring him home. It was a pretty intense year for his first year. So there was a lot of, a lot of you know, crying, and we're, we're holding him, and pretty intense. But right now, he's seven years old. He has a photographic memory. He's completely healed, completely restored from any effect of heroin in his life. It's super powerful because God's a redeemer, and we, always, we lay hands on him every day. Father, thank you for the mind of Christ. Thank you for the mind of Christ. He's a memorizer of Scripture. He's a memorizer of the gospel. It's amazing. Asher, the other little guy, he's four. He's got hair about down to here. He's got big goldy locks spinning down the back of his hair. Um, his mama was in a bad situation, and she was she just she didn't want to keep this baby in between her and him. So the thoughts of not having the baby, the thoughts of abortion, those things were there. We found out. She talked to our family. They said, would you adopt him? We said, absolutely. So we went into the process of adoption, and we got to rescue him from not having a life. And so Asher is four years old. And they look like biological brothers, which is crazy, but that's how good my king is. Amen? Amen? So God is all about, thank you so much, man. That's good. So God is all about redeeming a family the whole way through. He wants to redeem everything. I want to draw you to a couple of places in scripture today. A lot of times I'll preach, and I'm quoting scripture the whole time. If you go back and listen to the message, you will hear so many scriptures inside, because my opinion, apart from scripture, doesn't matter. But like, I got radically, radically, radically saved. I mean, I got saved into a family where no one's a Christian. So no one from my side. I mean, I had, 
grandparents that were Episcopalian. First they were Catholic, then were Episcopalian. But it wasn't about going to church every Sunday, being faithful, learning scripture, knowing who God was. They had no idea who the Father was. They had no idea who Jesus was. I mean, it was more about Mary. I mean, if you understand Catholicism, there's a big focus on Mary, not a big focus on Jesus. Well, Mary's not your savior. So if you put your faith in Mary, you go to hell. I'm not being mean. I'm telling you the truth. If Mary's not your savior, she didn't die for you. She didn't die a sinless life. She did not do that. She wasn't the sacrifice. God so loved the world that he sent Mary. No, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Mary did a great thing by bearing witness, by, by bearing the Christ child. And that was her, she's the vessel, right? She, she was pregnant with Jesus. Like, but even at, if you look at Mary's life, even at 30 years old, Jesus is 30 years old. They go to the wedding of Cana. And they're at the wedding, and Jesus is there. Now, if you are the woman that bore the Christ child, you know beyond anybody else's knowing that this is Jesus. Like, nobody got pregnant by God but Mary. Are you with me? So that's a pretty intense role. Now, for 30 years, he hasn't been revealed to the world. So he's 30 years old. They go to the wedding at Cana, and at the wedding, they run out of wine. Every Catholic knows this story because they ran out of wine. And Mary, they come to Mary to tell her. Mary comes to the only one that can change it. She comes to Jesus, and she says, they ran out of wine. And he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My time hasn't come. In other words, Jesus was so yielded to the Father that he never said anything unless God told him to say it, and he never did anything unless God told him to do it. He was completely yielded to God. So at that point, Jesus heard from the Father, it's not my time. But Mary can't deal with this anymore. Mary is just as pregnant the day that she gave birth to Jesus as she is right now. You have to hear this. This is super powerful. Because Mary's still pregnant with Jesus. Because she needs to reveal him to the world. She turns to the servants. And Jesus just said, it's not my time. So the father said, son, it's not your time. But Mary pulled into her day what was reserved for another day. <laughs> she pulled into her day by the hunger of her faith and shifted the father's heart to reveal Jesus that day. I need you to think about this. Mary heard from Jesus, it's not my time. This has nothing to do with me. Mary looks at the servants and she is so hungry to still deliver Jesus to the world. Are you with me? That she says to the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you. And she bows out of everything. Right there, she bows out. She's now out of the picture. Do whatever Jesus tells you. What does Jesus do? The father gives him a direct order. Fill these water pots that are used to wash feet. These, these water pots that aren't used for wine to wash feet with. And, she sa and he says, fill these water pots. Now take some to the master. And all of a sudden, the first miracle of Jesus happens on that day. I love the fact that Mary was so pregnant that she still wanted to deliver Jesus to the world. And we, as Christians, are to be so pregnant with Jesus, that we want to reveal him to the world. 
I'm telling you that there's a lot of things in this, but one of the things that, that I saw in this piece of scripture when I first got saved is that I can pull into today what would be reserved for another day because of my hunger, but it can't be hunger for the world. It has to be for hunger for the kingdom. <laughs> this is really important, especially for today. Because you could be in a certain place in life at a certain place in time, and all of a sudden, the spirit of wisdom and revelation reveals something that's true in Scripture, and you can see it. And all of a sudden, the hunger that you have. See, here's the deal. You can hunger for the things of the world, or you can hunger for the things of the kingdom. So we have to, we have to make that switch. And each one is responsible to make the switch. No one can make the switch for you. Your parents can't make the switch for you. There's nothing your parents can do to make you hungry except live a life full-on surrender to God. Yeah. But you are responsible for your own faith. You're responsible for how far you want to take this thing. Right? Like, how far do you think God will let you take this thing? I remember the day when I said, God, I just want more of you. I just want more of you, God. I just want more of you. I just... Me and God, any cost, doesn't matter. Todd, you can have all of me. I said, amen, amen. I said, but what does that require? Surrender. Wait, 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 wait. What does that mean? Surrender. Absolute, complete surrender, Todd, to where your life belongs to me and you're not your own. Like, okay, well, that's, I mean, I'm in. Okay, all right, you're in. So God took me on the journey of revealing the things that I thought were surrendered And it's a, it's a lifelong journey. But the key is obedience. Because when God reveals something to you, it is your job out of obedience to say, I don't want this in my life anymore, and I'm going to completely go after you. But how do you do it? You have to find out what God says about what you're surrendering, what his thoughts are about the thing that you're dealing with. Let's say it's, let's say it's worry. Like I surrender. How many of you would like to surrender worry to the Lord? Uh, if you don't, I don't know who you are. <laughs> how many of you would like to surrender fear to the Lord? I mean, how many of you like fear? It's exhausting. It is completely exhausting because you're not created to fear. You're created to love. So God did not give you a spirit of, but he did give you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. But without the sound mind, the other two don't work. The sound mind actually is self-discipline, or another word is self-control. Self-control is a spirit, is the fruit of the spirit. Are you with me? Do you understand that the gifts of God are given, but the fruit of God is grown? <laughs> the gifts of God, the gifts, like the, the gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the gifts, you see the gifts of the spirit, they're all given, they're all yours, everything's yours. It's all yours. But the fruit of the Spirit is grown and cultivated. But it's cultivated through intimacy and hard trials. Hard trials are where the fruit of God is grown. I'm telling you, man, this is the best. Why? We know that because it says that trials produce patience. Patience produces character. And character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. I can't get to hope except through the trial. But people hate trials because they're tired of it already. But man, like I said yesterday, if you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. If you squeeze an apple, you get apple juice. If I squeezed an orange into a cup and it was apple juice, you would lose it. 
because it doesn't belong. But when you squeeze a Christian, Jesus should come out. But that's not what the enemy's expecting when he squeezes you. When he squeezes you and gets Jesus on him, he's very less likely to try to squeeze you. That's the last thing he wants is Jesus. Jesus! No, what he's used to is squeezing Christians and then they blame God. God, you, what, where are you? I'm right here. I mean, how much closer can you get to God than him in you? How much closer can you get to God than him living inside of you? I mean, we want to get close to him. Like, how much closer can you get? He lives inside of you. We're just tapping. We're not tapping into the potential that we have in God, but we're tapping into the world for what we can get from the world. But it will always leave you short, and you'll come up short every time, and you'll waste your life because this world has nothing to give you. Ever. There's nothing that this world has to offer. Well, I need a a better job. Listen, sometimes people think they're going to get a better job by doing things in front of their boss so they can get the raise. If you did things in front of your boss to get the raise, then you're working by the worldly system of maybe I can talk him into doing this by him watching me. And that involves you kind of sucking up to a boss to try to make it look like you're this amazing person. But if you would actually believe that everything that you do, Colossians three seventeen. Whatever you do, in word or deed, you are to do it unto the Lord and not from people. Come on, I want you to think with me. Think about everything you do in word and deed. That pretty much encapsulates everything in your whole life. So that means that I am to be so yielded to God that everything that I do, whether it's in the words that I speak or the works that I do, the deeds that I do, the actions that are in my life, it is completely unto the Lord And not for people. That means that when my boss sees me sweep the floor and I'm hoping to get a raise, but I don't get that raise, then I'm not going to really sweep the floor like I did because I didn't get what I was trying to get. Because he didn't care. He didn't see it. Who cares? Whatever. And all of a sudden, you are now subject to this world system instead of actually doing things and knowing that the Lord sees everything. And all of a sudden, you don't get an attitude with your boss that didn't see you. You have gratitude because your God does see you. I mean, if you would understand that God sits in the theater room of your soul and sees everything that goes across your screen, your life would completely change. You'd realize that he's in every conversation. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. Come on, read Psalms 139 like God's pretty intimate. Like, where should I go to hide from your presence? You're everywhere I go. It doesn't matter where I go. You're there. He sees it all, but most people don't know that or they don't think about that because their conscience is seared and they don't have intimacy with God. So how can we get to have our conscience be utterly washed and cleaned and sanitized so that we don't step into anything that we're not supposed to, but because the love of God consumes us? Come on, guys. This is ultimately so powerful, but it's the absolute basics of Christianity. Like when God touched me, he touched me so intensely. Like when I came out of Teen Challenge, I was so excited, but everybody hated me. I mean, I hurt everybody, so I get it. I mean, okay, so when I came out of Teen Challenge, I was going to go to my house to see my daughter, and then I found out we were going to get married. Like it was all amazing. But before that, I went to the church because it was church work day. 
Now, I had lived as a hypocrite at this church for five and a half months, and everybody knew my game. And one of the elders paid for me to go to Teen Challenge. So he was going to fund it. You know, he funded it for when I was there, but I left two months in. They don't know my revelation of God. They don't know. All they know is my fruit was really horrible. And so now they've got this picture. I, I mean, I would go every Saturday morning to this class called Transformation Class. And it was actually, it was called Transformers Class. And it was on Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove or approve what is God's will. And it was all about the renewing of the mind. So for the five and a half months that I incorporated Jesus before I got shot at, I was going to these classes, and these guys couldn't stand that I was coming because I was hungover. But I'd show up every Saturday morning. I didn't miss a Saturday. I'd be drunk still. I'd come in, hey, guys, awesome. You know? And so they know that guy. They don't know what just happened at Teen Challenge. They don't know any of that. All they know is that's the guy that left. He committed to 12 months, and now he's only two months in, and here he comes. So I went there that day. I'm so excited. I said, Dan, I said, I need Pastor Dan Moeller, who's my, my, would be my dad, like spiritual dad. He said, he said, man, he said, you want to go to the church? I said, yeah, let me go there real quick. It's church work day, and then I need to go to my house, but let me go so I can help. I was so excited to help. Like I, I, I wasn't excited about anything except me. And then I get really saved. Like, I got radically saved. Let me back up just a, just a little bit. When I was at Teen Challenge, before the word opened up to me, they were talking about that word trials. And it was class. Anybody know what Teen Challenge is? Yeah. It's, a, it's all day. It's class. It's jobs that you do. You're working. But, you're, but it's all biblical teaching. It's no talking about drugs or serotonin levels or none of that junk that really is psychology when it comes to addiction. Because honestly, like my serotonin levels have nothing to do with my renewed mind. Are you with me? We have a chemical imbalance. <laughs> All of us have some of that. But what does that matter? I need born again, and I need my mind renewed, and I need to be filled with God's spirit. It's absolutely opposite of the world. There's nothing worldly about it. It's all supernatural, amazing, right? So they were talking about trials one day, two weeks before my end at Teen Challenge. Two weeks before... All this stuff started to break loose, and I had those encounters with Jesus. They're talking about trials, and they said, consider it joy in class. Consider it joy, my brethren, when you face these various trials. I go, you guys are stupid. Now, this is before I understood, because I thought trial, I'm in front of a judge. I've been in front of so many judges. I've been in orange jumpsuits. I've been extradited. I've been felony, all that stuff. I'm always guilty. So why is it a joy to have a trial? So I'm like, you guys are stupid. Like, you're talking about going in front of a judge, man. Like, why is that joyful? I'm going to jail. And, and everybody knew what I was talking about. These counselors were like, no, no, no. That's not, no, that's what you said. You said trial. I mean, how many of you guys been on trial? I'm telling the people. And I'm like this problem guy. Because I'm trying to find Jesus. I know he saved me. I'm like, why, why did you save me? Like, why did you save me? Show me why I'm here. Help me. Don't let me be the same when I leave this place. Fix me. I'm freaking out. Like, you don't know my private prayer life at that time. But I was pretty much a battle with the Lord. Like, I know you rescued me. Why? And I'm screaming in the prayer room. People would leave the prayer room like, this guy is nuts. <laughs> no, because, see, I am either hot or cold. I'm either for him or against him. I'm gathering or I'm scattering. I can't coast in between. And I did that for five and a half months, but I didn't know him. Now he rescued me. Why did you save me? Like, why did you save me, man? My girlfriend's gone. My daughter's gone. I have nothing. 
You know, and so this happened to me. Well, I went up to the prayer room. I left the classroom. I'm going up to the prayer room. I can't do this. I went up there and I'm like, I'm frustrated. Like trials, consider it joy. Oh, I'm, in, I'm going to prison. Why is that fun? There's no joy in there. So sure enough, I went to sleep that night and I woke up in the morning, bright and early. I got up. By the way, that's never changed. I got up every morning an hour and a half or an hour earlier than everybody else did to make sure that I beat the sun. And that's never changed for 19 years. But I went in there and I go, joy, this trials. I'm flipping through scripture. And I get to James, which is the real, it's Jesus' brother who wrote this book. And I'm looking at it and I go, man, it says, he who lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And I went, oh my God, I don't have any wisdom. I started freaking out. I did. I'm like, I'm wisdomless. Oh my God, that's it. I don't have any wisdom. Wow, I'm freaking out because I realized I don't got it. I don't get it. Most people think they have it. But the wisdom of God is peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's the wisdom of God. That's not what we grew up with. What we grew up with is sensual, demonic, self-seeking, full of envy, and every evil thing is in there. So now we come out of this, we come out, we get born again. We've got that wisdom going on in every mind on the planet. I don't care if you were born in church, you were born in sin. You understand that? Your mind was cultivated by the very enemy. So the first thing that needs to change is the way that you think. If you don't change the way that you think, you will come to church for worship service and you will live absolutely up and down your whole life. You will need massive counseling because you never met the counselor. Your whole life will constantly be in need when God says he's given you everything according to life and godliness. And Jesus is available personally for everybody. And the Holy Spirit wants to be your best friend and your mentor, and God wants to be your father. Because the Bible says in Matthew 23, 9 and 10, call no one on earth your father and call no one on earth your teacher. Because it says you have one father. Being born again means to be born from above. That's what it means. To be born again means to be born from above. Why? Because the first time didn't work. Listen to this. Like, this is crazy, but... When I was born, there was 500 million chances of me swimming up a birth canal. 500 million chances. Think about it. I know the odds are crazy. See, you're the one that made it, so don't say you never won anything. But there are 499,999,999 other chances trying to get in the egg. They've got jackhammers, sledgehammers, <laughs> sauce, trying to get in the egg, but only one makes it. And so I'm behind everybody. I'm, I'm slower than everybody because the last shall be. Yep. So I'm back here. I get to the pack, and when I get there, they part like the Red Sea. And I jump right inside the egg, and I have no idea how I got in there, but I'm in there, and everybody outside is complaining. Like, that's a lot of complainers. I'm inside the egg, and because I've never been trained by the world, I don't know the world's voice. I don't know anything about the world. My life comes from God, because all life comes from God. 
So regardless if my mom or my dad wanted me or didn't want me, I'm here because God said so. There's no mistakes. And from inside the egg, my voice that's never heard the world before says, sorry guys, I was predestined before the foundation of the world. My identity doesn't come because my mom did like me, love me or not, or my dad did like me, love me or not. My identity comes from the Father because all life comes from Him. And when you're born again, you're brought back to the original value that you had before you ever sinned. And God sees you as if you never ate the tree. It's so good. It's the simplicity of the gospel. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Oh, that you'd bear with me in a little foolishness. And indeed you do, you do bear with me, for I betrothed you to one husband. That's what he said. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. What is a virgin? Somebody that's never been with anybody before. So God says, I betrothed you. I betrothed you as a chaste. When I say God said, Paul said because God inspired because all scripture is inspired by God, 2 Timothy 3.16, used for a proof, for correction, for admonishment. It's used for training in righteousness. All scripture is used for training in righteousness. Righteousness is my right standing with God. If I got that mixed up, I'm messed up. Yes. And all of a sudden, I'm trying to be right with the world that I'm wrong with when I've accepted Jesus. And you can't live that life. It's a double life. You can't do it. So therefore, we're forced into hypocrisy. Because we really know what's right, but then we don't know him. So then what, what's right drifts away, and the way that seems right remains. That's so good. I promise it is. I know, because he fixed me. Like, you can't give me a bad day. Like, a bad moment, maybe, but I take the thought captive. Like, I take the thought captive immediately so it doesn't take me captive. But we don't understand the weapons of our warfare that aren't carnal, but are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, taking every thought captive. It's 2 Corinthians chapter, come on, guys. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, right before this 11 that I'm talking about, says the weapons of our warfare are not, are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, taking every thought that rises itself up, that tries to exalt itself up against him. But when they exalt himself against him, they're exalting himself against who he's created you to be because he created you in his image. So those thoughts need to be taken captive. And if you don't, they'll take you captive. And before long, you've incorporated Jesus in. And you, when you started, you were 90-10. Then you're 85-15. And, and then you're 70-30. And then you're 50-50. And then you're 40-60. And all of a sudden, your life is just hanging on a thread. You're one foot on one side of the fence, one foot on the other. But you're coming to church and you're praising the Lord. But in your actions, you're far away from Him. That's not acceptable. I will make room for you. To do whatever you want to. Scripture defines what he wants to do. The world doesn't. Mm -hmm. yep. Come on. The world can tell you that God is this and God is that. Scripture defines who God is. Yeah. We're like, well, it's just a book. It was written by men. Oh, Scripture is confirmed over and over and over and over. And this book that you have in your hands, in your possession, actually, many, many martyrs have paid a price and not surrendered because of this book. Because this book is alive, it's sharp and active. Every word is sharp and alive. It separates your soul from your spirit. The way that seems right to a man is your soul from your spirit, man. Your spirit gets it, but your soul is trying to figure it out. And all of a sudden, you give dominance to the spirit and the truth of God's word. He illuminates 
what's dimly lit. Because when you get born again, God has placed the whole Bible inside of your heart already. When you get saved, you get a new heart. You don't work with the old one. And that word is already in, buried in, it's, it's inside of your heart already. But it takes illumination from Scripture to breathe upon what's in there. And you have to spend time with God so that he can reveal what's inside. So you have an intimate relationship with God where he's communing with your spirit, where you start to enter into that. But guilt, shame, and condemnation eliminate you from relationship. So the enemy knows how to make people guilty, ashamed, bitter, afraid. Come on. He knows how to keep you in condemnation. He, the world calls it depression. But I promise you, you can be clinically depressed as you want, because I was. I was bipolar. I was borderline. I had it all. And Jesus went, Knock that thing out of the park. Come on, I'm telling you, like Jesus canceled my lifetime subscription to issues. Return to sender. 